Uh, friends, as we look at this final chapter now, let's ask God for his help. Will you pray with me? Dear Father, as we come to the end of John's Gospel, may we not just enjoy it as a slice of history or marvel at it as a work of theology, but be transformed by it as your Spirit-inspired Word for our lives today so that we may find and enjoy life in Jesus' name, now and forever. Amen. Well, last week, uh, as I mentioned, we saw the transformation of Jesus' disciples after the resurrection, none more so than so-called doubting Thomas, who saw and believed and then exclaimed those great words, my Lord and my God. Wonderful moment. And this kind of radical life transformation is precisely why John wrote his gospel account. Listen to his purpose statement in verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, why? That you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John makes it clear that it is not by seeing that we have life in his name, but by believing Personal faith in Jesus is the goal. And he's so focused on this theme of believing that there are about a hundred references to it uh, through his gospel. Now, John knows he hasn't recorded everything. He just couldn't, like he says in the last verse. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. But he has recorded enough, enough for us to understand who Jesus is so that we can believe and have life, be saved. And what exactly are we called to believe? That Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. So as we continue through this final chapter, John wants us to wrestle with a personal question. Do I truly believe that Jesus died for my sins on the cross? And that he rose again to give me eternal life with God forever. Some people think that this uh, statement of John's purpose is such a natural climax, it should be the end of the book. Uh, There shouldn't be another chapter. In fact, some even suggest that chapter 21 was added by someone else. But in this last chapter, John addresses two lingering issues that could derail the purpose that he's just explained to us. Firstly, Peter had denied Jesus just before the crucifixion. So how could he end up being this great leader of the church in Jerusalem? And secondly, there was a rumour that John himself would not die uh, before Jesus returned. Now, after many decades... John was the last surviving apostle, and it's easy to imagine that as he got older, this rumour reached fever pitch among some believers. Yeah, John's nearly dead. Jesus must be just about to return. So poor old John, he, he wants to speak into that and uh, set the record straight. So he retells the events of an unforgettable morning that addresses both of these issues. The disciples' location there in Galilee, that's because they're obeying Jesus. Uh, remember what the angel said to the women at the tomb? Go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, 
Now, this particular morning, uh, a bunch of the disciples are together. And verse 3, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Our some see this as Peter rejecting Jesus' call to leave fishing and follow him. Uh, even worse, he's, he's actually leading others astray. Uh, but John doesn't seem to make anything of that. Uh, what we do see is that Peter's a natural leader uh, among the disciples. And that's true of some Christians today. Because of the gifts and personality that God has given them, they're just natural leaders. Now, if you think that might be you, then please listen so carefully to the rest of this account and the interaction between Peter and Jesus because you have the potential to do great damage or, empowered by the Spirit of God, to be used in wonderful ways. Now, it, was great, uh, it wasn't a great night for Peter and his mates. Uh, when I go fishing, not unusual for me to catch nothing. But these guys, they're professionals. And this was highly unusual. They would have been tired in the early hours of the morning, frustrated, and uh, still coming to terms with the emotional roller coaster of the last few weeks. And in the dim morning light, some bloke on the shore yells out, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. Now, for Peter, this would have been a bit embarrassing. I mean, even the word for fish that is spoken there uh, means little fish. You know what? They haven't even caught ones the size that you throw back in. Nothing. So this bloke on the beach yells out, throw your net on the other side of the boat and you will find some. I can imagine Peter thinking, yeah, whatever. But when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Verse 11 says, 153 large fish. That's quite a catch. That's a, that's a miracle. And John recognises. He knows exactly what's going on because it's not the first time this has happened. In Luke chapter 5, we read of a similar incident three years earlier. After a night hard work and, and nothing to show for it, Jesus told them to cast the nut on the other side of the boat. And they caught so many fish that the, the nets felt like they are going to break and the, the, the boats felt like they are going to sink. So verse 7, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he'd taken it off, and jumped into the water. Peter wears his heart on his sleeve, doesn't he? He's so impulsive. But isn't this great? The very thought of seeing Jesus is enough for him to just launch into the water and start swimming to shore. Friends, how urgently do you and I want to meet with Jesus? That's a good question. And I suspect that, like me, you actually feel a, a twang of guilt when you consider honestly how you might answer. How often do we struggle to pray? Or to spend time reading God's word. Now, for sure, it's not exactly a fish barbecue with Jesus on the shores of Galilee. But God's word is enough for us to know him, to understand his will for our lives, and to be certain of our eternal future with him. How urgently do we want to meet with Jesus? Well, the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards, 
When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. I like this. Jesus attends to their physical needs before attending to Peter's spiritual needs. He often does this. Not every time. So it's not like a, a formula that we have to, to use in every situation. But it's a good reminder for us that as a community of God's people, we need to be supporting others. We need to be supporting others. This helps people truly hear us when we speak the good news. Uh, there's so much more credibility in a message when the messenger walks what they talk. Uh, John has provided this historical setting and now he addresses the two issues of concern. Peter first. Peter's eagerness to see Jesus. Uh, it's kind of a good in introduction to the encounter that follows. But we have to remember that uh, just before the crucifixion, Peter had denied even knowing Jesus three times. How does Jesus re respond here in verse 15? When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? It seems like quite a confrontation in front of all the other disciples. Why would he do it this way? Well, some have suggested that it was because public sin requires public rebuke. Now, all sin needs to be confessed and turned from, and the New Testament does have examples of public uh, confrontation, especially when a person fails to repent. But in this case, it's unlikely that the other disciples even saw him deny Jesus. Maybe John, but certainly none of the others. It wasn't really their business. Uh, perhaps it was because he had earlier made the bold claim, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. And look at him now. The others may have fled in fear, but Peter was the one who openly denied even knowing Jesus with his own mouth. The foolishness of his boasting was painfully obvious to everyone. And now he had the opportunity to express his love for Jesus without resorting to kind of comparative language. Now let's be sure to do the same. Not letting pride or comparing ourselves to other believers prop up our sense of worth as a follower of Christ. Perhaps it was uh, so that Peter's grief and earnestness in front of the others would reassure them that Peter was, in fact, a leader worth following. Or perhaps it was just for Peter himself to see if he would try and save face in front of his mates again. I mean, that's the same kind of self-preservation that was at the heart of the denial the first time. That kind of self-preservation is often at the heart of our struggle to stand firm as a Christian in public settings. Whatever the reason, Peter shows genuine repentance and openly confesses his love for Jesus. And by doing that, he is a great role model for the other disciples and for us to follow. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Then Jesus said, feed my lambs. And as we heard, this brief dialogue is repeated three times. And Peter is hurt. But this was almost certainly to mirror the three times Peter had denied Jesus. And as we look at it, there's at least three things for us to note here for our benefit. Firstly, sin 
needs confession, genuine confession. It's of utmost importance. Whether it's public or private, it's not the issue. We must confess our sin. Only then can we be forgiven and cleansed of it. We need to love Jesus. We need to follow him. Sometimes we do need public confession so that others can help us be accountable and stay the course. James chapter 5 verse 16 says this, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Secondly, I think Jesus here is establishing Peter as a shepherd among his followers. The use of lambs and sheep and feeding and caring emphasises that good pastoral ministry has all ages and all stages of maturity in mind. The children's ministry is an integral part of our life together. The connect groups are an integral part of our life together. Training new leaders is an integral part of our life together. All these things contribute to our health as a church. And all of this, for, for Peter, on top of the commission that we looked at last week to keep speaking the good news to those who have not heard. Now, thirdly, um, in the Greek, Jesus uses different words for love in each question. Maybe you've heard about this. Uh, some people make a whole lot of it, but I don't think there's any significance to it because John uses these different words for love interchangeably all throughout uh, his gospel, no matter who's doing the loving, whether it's God or another person, or who's being loved. The point is simply this. Does Peter love Jesus? And if so, what, uh, do what he says. Follow him. And that's a take-home point for us as well. If we love Jesus, do what he says. Then Jesus tells Peter that his obedience will cost him his life. It may seem like a, quite an obscure metaphor to us. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Perhaps it wasn't even obvious at the time. But by the time John actually wrote this gospel, it was crystal clear. Verse 19, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter's hands were stretched out. And he was crucified in about 62 AD under the Emperor Nero. Uh, Peter literally took up his cross and followed Jesus. Now John addresses the second pressing concern, this rumour about Jesus' return. It seems that as Peter and Jesus are talking, uh, perhaps they've wandered down the beach a little bit, uh, deep in conversation. So verse 20 Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Hi, extroverts so uh, often like to have the attention on themselves until the task is particularly costly or painful. Now for Peter, you know, he loved the public acceptance in front of the crowd just a moment ago. What a relief that was. He loved the responsibility of shepherding God's people. What an honour. But a shameful, painful death? Lord, what about John? We so easily break the 10th commandment, don't we? Envy the lives of others, uh, their success at work, 
or, or in ministry or their personal achievements, their house or their spouse, the achievements of their kids and, and so on. We find ourselves making excuses for their success or making excuses for our own failures. Or we fall into the deadly trap of pride if we feel like we compare favourably. It's pathetic really, isn't it? Our value does not come from measuring ourselves against others. Our significance and our security and our purpose in life is found in Jesus Christ and Him alone. It is He who gave us life. It is He who gave His life for us. And it is He who calls us to now live our lives for Him. So verse 22, Jesus answered, If I want Him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. And then John clarifies what must have been a, a big issue in his day. Uh, because of this, the rumour spread among the believers that the disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Now, of course, John uh, is long gone, died probably about 1900 years ago. But the tendency to try and determine when Jesus will come back has surfaced again and again throughout church history. In Acts 1 verse 7, listen to these words, probably only a few weeks after this uh, account in today's chapter. Jesus told his disciples, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. I think the real problem here is the human tendency to want a say in things that are above and beyond our responsibility. We don't know when Jesus will return, but we do know that he will return. And our responsibility then is to be ready, to be faithfully following Jesus and leave all the other details in his wise hands. And that, my friends... Brings us to the end of the book of John. So let me close with his words, his purpose statement. This is what the whole book was about. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen.